predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestinated, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Father, we come to a passage that is... uh, way above our finite ability to understand without divine help. Lord, we pray you would help us to see and understand what you did and what you purposed even before you framed the universe. Oh, Lord, may that truth be one that's rich in our soul, bring encouragement. May it bring assurance of salvation. Oh, Lord, may it bring us a heart that overflows with delight in Christ. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning we come to the second link in God's golden chain of salvation. And the second link, you'll notice, is what? Predestination. We looked at the first link last, last time we met on this, and we saw the first link was foreknowledge of God. But predestination is one of those words that is often maligned in Christian circles. Uh, Just hearing it in some people triggers all kinds of emotional responses. Uh, For some people, it actually causes a meltdown. They hear the word predestination, they just emotionally melt down. Many of us, it actually stirs up majestic thoughts in our minds and should result in praise to God for who He is and what He's done. So whether you love the word predestination or whether you hate the word predestination, let me remind you, it's in God's Word. And what we want to do is humble ourselves and, and, and come before the Word of God and, and let it teach us what it says about this word predestination. Now, for those of you who might melt down, and maybe I, I don't see anyone who's melted down into the seat or into the floor yet, but uh, for those of you who melt down under the word predestination, let me just share with you, oftentimes that comes from a view of salvation that is is really contrary to the Word of God. It it, it comes from a a view of free will that is such that uh, it chafes to hear anything that rubs against my free will. Uh, We we, we saw free will discussed last time. Uh, And what oftentimes it comes from an inability to see and to understand. how depraved we really are. I mean, how sinful we really are. And the righteous demand of God, of what He demands from us, is absolute, perfect righteousness. And it's a blindness to be able to see there's nothing, nothing we can do to advance our acceptance with God or to any way have any favor with Him based on our own merit. At any time, this is a they think there might be enough righteousness still left in us that we can believe on our own, unaided by God Himself, uh, because we do have this powerful free will. But to those of us who love this word predestination, and, and, and not out of balance, but love it because it's in God's Word, love it because it's part of the saving work that God's done in our life, uh, most of us would embrace a very God-centered view of salvation. And I don't think you can come up with any other view if you're looking honestly at the book of Romans. I mean, it opens up by telling us we're totally depraved. There's nothing we can do to further ourselves or advance our our case in the eyes of God. 
there's nothing less than complete righteousness that's demanded by God of us, and there's no righteousness left in us. And if there's any righteousness at all that we're going to have in right standing with God, is He's going to have to clothe us in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ Himself. There's nothing we can do we, except flee to the cross, flee to Christ. And uh, absent His blood, we have no standing before God. So today, as we continue our way through verses 29 to 30, we're looking at that crown jewel of the gospel in Romans 29 and 30. We've labeled uh, this series of messages the five golden links of salvation. And here's my prayer, is that we can unpack this passage, this one word, predestination, uh, in, in such a way that we all might be brought to see the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the saving work that His Father did for us, Uh, that God might stir up through His Word a heart in every believer here today of joy, of praise, of delight, as we see the majesty of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we see enshrouded in the word predestination. I would hope that God would bring you to a point where you love this Word. That you wouldn't melt down when you hear it. You'd actually love the Word. And I, I know some, for some of you that's a tall order. Based on background, maybe based on prior teaching, based on whatever you know, brought you to a different view. And, and here's my prayer for you. If you hold to a different view of predestination, and after today you, you leave still holding to that view, and you're wondering, you know, maybe this guy up front's all off. Let me encourage you, don't leave. I mean, you can leave after we're done with the service, but I mean, don't leave in the sense of leave in the, not hearing the rest of the message from Romans, because if, if today won't convince you about predestination, wait till we get to chapter 9. Hang in there. Go all the way with me through chapter 9 and see if you still have the same thoughts and beliefs. So we saw last time Paul's list of five steps in, of, of God in the salvation of a people. Uh, it, we, we call them chains, you know, little links of chains. And there's five links in this chain. And that's one old Puritan guy who thought that was a good way of describing all five of these blessings that are ours in Christ the blessings of salvation. And they're all linked together in chronological order. And it begins with the first link. And the first link is foreknowledge of God. The second link we're going to see today is what? Predestination. And the last link goes all the way down to the last link in the chain is glorification. And and they're all linked together. And and, and the reason why that's important is because in the original, the the way we see this is they cannot be separated. If you get on board with the first link, you're going to make it all the way to the last link. Every one of these are going to be in order of God working in your life to save your soul for all eternity. You know, as we saw, this begins in verse 29, way back when, right? Way, way back yonder, way, way before a planet, way, way before a universe, way back when... In eternity there was God, the triune God. And He was saving a people even back then before He created them. 
And as we go way back in, in, in eternity past, we see what God was doing is He was saving us in the sense that He was foreknowing us, and we're going to see today predestinating us, and then He makes everything, and then He makes you and me, and now we have time and space, and now we're in time and space, now we have calling, and He's continuing to save, justifying, He's continuing to save, and now we're going to go spin off way off into eternity future, and we're going to see that from now on, He's going to be glorifying Everyone that got in on the first link is going to make it to the last link, and we're going to go off and glorify God forever. We'll be glorified. So uh, today it's all of God. Salvation is all of God, and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Many of you might think you've decided to become a Christian. It was me. It was my will. It was my decision. I decided. I, 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 I. And what you find out is when we get all done, read through 29 and 30. It's God. It's God who foreknew. It's God who predestined. It's God who called. It's God who justified. It's God who will what? Glorify. And so it's all of God. And by the way, each link is in chronological order. It begins with foreknowledge, it goes to predestination, then it goes to a calling to an individual, then they have faith and they're justified, and finally they're glorified. And also, we're going to see one of the great encouragements that comes out of these two verses is, is the blessing of assurance. You can never fall from grace. It's not like you can pull these links apart and, oh, you got in at foreknowledge? Well, whoop, you know, you know you're, 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 you're linked into predestination. Well, it's not like you can jump off of predestination and you know, no, pull, the, you know, pull the links apart. No, you're, you're linked with calling. And you're linked by the power of God to justification and glorification. And so you'll never be lost. None will ever be lost if they entered in at the first link. The last time we looked at the first link, foreknowledge, some of you were here, some of you were sick, and we prayed for you. But we know this, that God, first of all, foreknew a people. And we look, just by way of quick review, we, we asked ourselves, well, what does that mean? You know, there's, there's, two, there's two views. One of the popular views today is it means this, is that, that God, before He created a universe, He, he put His spectacles on to look, you know, His, his, his binoculars through time. Well, there was no time yet, but He could see into time from eternity that uh, Oh, Al, there's Al. Hey, Al, how old were you when you got saved? 1976. Hey, I'm, now he's in 1976. Al's going to believe in me. I'm going to choose him. That's, that's a co- common view today. God looked down the tunnel of time. He could see who would believe in their free will. And then in, in eternity past, he chose them. Or he elected them, some would say. And the question is, what kind of an election would that be? if his choice was solely dependent upon what we would do, I mean, from a sovereign God. Uh, that's not the meaning of no. We saw that no really means uh, placing a affection on, on another, knowing someone in an intimate and affectionate way. Notice what it doesn't say in, uh, in, in verse 29. It doesn't say God knew something about us it doesn't say he knew something we would do. It says he knew us. That's important. He knew us. Uh, and so the biblical use of no here would be a, a no that would say an intimate, 
love for, for another. The thought is that uh, he chose a people to be recipients of his divine love. And we see it, the, the word used in the, in the Old Testament. We see, for example, Adam knew Eve. And, I, and he's not saying that Adam knew the color of Eve's hair. He knew what kind of clothing she was wearing, what kind of personality she had. He didn't know something about Eve. He knew her. And what happened as a result of him knowing her? A baby is born. So that tells us the kind of intimacy and the kind of love relationship that there was between Adam and Eve when he knew her and she conceived and bore a child. We see in Matthew 7, 23, uh, that, that really it's a haunting verse, but it says, remember, uh, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Here is judgment, Dave. Oh, look at all these wonderful works we did, God, aren't you pleased? And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Why? Because I never knew you. There it is again. I never had an intimate, loving relationship with you. It wasn't that he didn't know who they were. He knows all the people in the world and how many hairs are on their head. He knows that. He knew their names. He knew what they were doing. So it wasn't that he knew, knew something about them, but he didn't know them in an intimate way and in, in, in giving rise to a relationship. So that's the first link in the golden chain, that God chose out a people before the foundation of the world to be the objects of His affection, the object of His divine love, a people that He would know. And each and every one of those He, he foreknew takes us to the second link, right? And the second link is He did predestine. For those whom He foreknew... He did predestine. Those whom God chose to be the objects of His love, to them He predestined. So let's look at the word predestination, what it means. It might surprise you. It might not mean what you think it means, at least as used here by the Apostle Paul. Predestination here does not refer to God choosing a person. That's already been done in foreknowledge. The election took place in foreknowledge. And so in the foreknowledge, God, God chose a people to be the object of His affection. And to those people, He did predestined. And so we see that the word uh, predestined, uh, it really is a little compound word. They have the pronoun pro in front of it, which is uh, before. And then orizo, which is... So if I said orizo in, in, in a way that we could hear it in our own language... Do you hear the word horizon in there? Horizo? Uh, in other words, it, it, that's the origin of our word horizon. It means to set boundaries, to define, to, to define boundaries, to mark out beforehand. Uh, so, for example, when we use the word horizon as it, as it results to that, that line of demarcation between the sky and the earth. That's the horizon. That the, what's happening is the horizon is separating, marking out, separating the sky from the earth. But when it refers to people, this word really means uh, to define a person's destiny or, or, or to define a person's uh, uh, purpose in life. And so it appears, by the way, I got in a little Facebook discussion with someone last night over this and I shared it. By the way, this word appears six times in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. And uh, Acts 
Listen carefully. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man arrested, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan. There's the word. The purpose for which and the foreknowledge of God. And so it was God's plan. It was his purpose. It was his destiny for his son to come into this world and be offered up as a sacrifice. We see it in Acts 4, 20, 28, but I'll begin at 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In other words, what God's purpose was for Christ. And that was that he would be arrested, he would, be, uh, he would suffer and die on a cross. 1 Corinthians 2.7 But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed. Now, our translation is the same, same in the original for predestined before the ages of our glory. So we see that uh, he was imparting a, imparting a secret, a hidden wisdom of God, which he decreed before the ages of glory. Of course, the, some of the more popular verses, Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us for adoption uh, to himself. Ephesians 1.11, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Here's the big idea of this one word in this one verse. Christ chose a people to be the object of his affection and his love. He did so before the foundations of the world. And every one of those people he chose to foreknow, he did predestine. And by predestine, what, what Paul is saying here is, he, God had a destiny already set out for every one of the people whom God foreknew. Well, let me personalize it for you. Every believer today in this room, if you were to share your testimony behind this pulpit in front of all of us today, where would your testimony begin? Now, you might think it began back in 1976. Is that what it Actually, Al, it goes before that. Do you realize that, your testimony? Yeah. It goes all the way back before 1976. Here's my testimony. Before I was born. Yeah, before I was, before there was a universe, when there was only God, He loved me. Of all the, uh, all the people He'd create, I'd be the object, I'd be the object of His affection. I'd be the intimate, for an intimate relationship with Him. And not only that, back even before He formed the universe and created everything, let's use Al, we're on Al now, so we'll t pick on Al, but, and Al, I'm going to give him a destiny. I'm going to choose him, I'm going to love him, and here's his purpose for what I, I, I'm saying, speaking. And his purpose is, we're going to see in a minute, but I'm going to tell you what his destiny is going to be. He determined your future destiny. So your future destiny, brother, has been set. And it was set before the, the clocks began, before time, before space, back, back in eternity past. Uh, so what I want to do this morning is look at the two uh, the two destinies, because this really breaks itself into two sections. The two purposes, 
why God saved anyone. There's a primary and a secondary purpose for God saving you, or a primary and a secondary destiny that God had in mind uh, when He predestined you. We're going to look at, first of all, the secondary blessing, or the secondary uh, purpose, and then we'll look at the primary second. So, don't look at your Bibles. Just think in your head for a minute. See where you are, where you are in knowing and understanding what God's doing in your life. If I was to ask you personally, every Christian in this room, what was God's destiny in saving you? Don't say anything out loud, but what, what would you answer? What do you think His purpose was in saving you? Why did He do that? What did He have in mind? What was His destiny for you? And let's see if it lines up with what the Scripture says here in just a minute. Let's begin with the secondary purpose. Not the primary, the secondary purpose. He says, to be conformed to the image of His Son. Boy, just let that sink in. Think of the wonder of that statement. God saved you, Christian. Began back in eternity past before you were even born. He loved you with an everlasting love. He predestined you. He gave you a purpose, a, a destiny for you, and that destiny that you would be conformed to the image of His Son. And if God decreed it, and God is immutable, what's going to happen? You are going to be conformed to the image of His Son. There's no way out. It's going to happen. Every Christian will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So God's uh, reason for saving you <coughs> was not that you would go to heaven. Did you realize that? Although you do go to heaven. I mean, that's part of it. But that wasn't His purpose, His secondary purpose when He saved you. It wasn't even that your sins would be forgiven, although that's true. It wasn't like, oh, I just want all their sins to be forgiven and everything would be okay between me and them. That, it was more than that. It wasn't that He would heal your marriage. Although he might do that as well. It wasn't, he didn't save you to deliver you from addictions, from drunkenness, from drugs, from pornography. Although he has the power to do that. But that's not the ultimate purpose for God working salvation in your life. It says right here clearly that his main purpose in saving you was that you would be conformed to the image of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's every Christian, that's you. Every Christian in this room, that's you. That's me. And I just wrote my notes because I didn't know what else to say. Wow! I even underlined it, put an exclamation mark after it. Wow! Think what God has done. What does it mean that to be conformed to the image of Christ? Well, you look in your Bible, you scan through the five links of salvation down to verse 30. What's the last link? You're going to be glorified. So you could actually take predestination. You're going to be conformed to the image of Christ and link that all the way to the last link, which is that going to really happen? Yes, because God decreed it. And you will be what? Glorified. Now, you might be thinking, if, you're, if you've got your thinking caps on, hopefully you do, 
maybe you don't think the way I think, but this is what I was thinking, is that Paul, didn't you leave something out here in these five, these five uh, steps of uh, salvation? I mean, after all, we were called, we're justified, and we're going to be glorified. And, and for the last couple of chapters in the book of Romans, we've been looking at the subject of what? Sanctification. Where's sanctification in here? I mean, it says we're going to be called, justified, and we're going to be glorified. Didn't you miss something? You could have, we could have put six links, Paul, in, in this chain. I don't see any mention of sanctification. It's true, we've seen that, that everyone who's justified will be what? Sanctified. And it's going to happen before He glorifies us. That's when sanctification begins. Isn't that what we've been discovering in Romans 7 and Romans 8? And the answer is yes. But this is what God has predestined us to be, to become. I mean, we can put in the second link here, sanctification. By Paul saying that he has purposed before the foundation of the world that you would bear the very image and conform to the image of Christ, that process is called what? That is sanctification. He's making you daily more and more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will ultimately be glorified. From the moment that you believed in Christ, He began shaping you, conforming you, and working a a sanctifying workout in your heart and life with a new heart and an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if you're in Christ, if you're a real, real Christian, you are becoming more and more and more like Jesus. You know, it might not be every day you grow that much more, but you can look back on the broad brush stroke of your life and you can see a life that what? I'm not the same person I was. I remember way back when I, when the internet first came out and everybody's looking for everybody on the internet, you know, you, I wonder what so-and-so, you know, you can find people now. And uh, I got a, a call from a guy that I went to college with. He was a roommate that I had. And all I can say is we got into a lot of mischief when I was in college, so much so that Ohio State wrote me a letter. He said, Don, it's really nice having you here for one year, but please don't come back. So that's, that was me in Ohio State. But, uh, and so my friend knew all this stuff about me. He knew some bad things about Don. And so he calls up on the phone. We're talking. We hadn't talked in probably, you know, 15, 20 years, whatever. And he says, so what are you doing these days? I'm a pastor. Oh, come on. What's the, what's the con? Come on. What's, what's the spin? And no, I, I really, I am a pastor. And he could not get over it. I mean, he knew the old Don. Now he knows, you know, down the road, God has been doing a work of grace in my life over a period of time. And now he knows the Don that's a pastor. And uh, he says, that can't be. But what's God doing in all of our lives? He's conforming us into the image of Christ. Sometimes we can't see it on a day-to-day basis. But when you've got a brother like a friend of mine like that I went to college with, and he stands back and says, wow, what's happened? It's God. God is doing a work, a work that He has predestined before the foundation of the world. That He says that we'll be conformed. You see the word conformed. Uh, literally, we're going to be shaped, brought into the same form of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. 
good verse for this, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Saying, saying the same thing. We're being transformed daily into the image of Jesus from glory to glory. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, Flint, it's, it's, it's kind of like the stock market, you know. It's, uh, I wish we grew this way, you know, and the stock market went that way. But this is kind of the way the stock market goes. So you have to draw and connect all the dots. And, oh, it's, it is growing. But, it, you know, there's the lows and there's the highs. That's how it is in our life. But we are being ultimately shaped into the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's not an option not to be <laughs> shaped in the image of Christ. God is predestined. It. And it's, by the way, this is one of the great tests to find out whether you're truly saved or not. You can pro profess with your mouth, I'm a Christian, and you can have a hollow profession of faith. So how do I know if my faith is real? Well, are you, are you you've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ? Are you changing? Are you growing? Are you becoming more holy, more like the Lord Jesus Christ? He didn't save you to let you remain as you were until the day that you die and then spike you up into glory. That's not what He did. He is right now changing and transforming. And that should be pres present in your life. You have the newness of life, you have a new heart, you have the Holy Spirit, you're growing in grace, your outward man might be dying, you might be limping in here like Pete did today, and, and, and you're limping out like I do this every day, and, and as we come in here we wonder, what about this body? Well, this body's going to be glorified in the future, but in the present, the inner man, who we are in Christ, this inner man is every day being transformed more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God predestined it. And here's the reality. In this life, you're, you're never going to fully be conformed to the image of Christ, right? None of us are going to be perfect in this life. As long as you have an outward flesh that wars against the Spirit, you're going to have a battle going on. You're not going to hit perfection before you die. Yet God predestined that you would be conformed. And that's why there's the last link in the chain is you will, you will be glorified when it's all said and done. You'll be physically glorified. You'll have a new body. You'll be, it'll be a radiant body. It'll, it, it, it's retrofitted for eternity. And the day's coming when Jesus Christ, when you'll see Him face to face, and when you do, you will be transformed immediately into the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ with new glorified body. That's great. Philippians 3.20, Paul goes on. He, he says, but our citizenship's in heaven. And from it we await a Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our body, our lowly body, to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject to all things in Himself. So Christ came in the image of God, and we're going to be made in the image of Christ. Colossians 1.15, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, 
all things were created through him and for him. Now, some people take this too far. They say, well, we're going to become another little Jesus, right? You know, we're going to be in his image and we're going to be like Jesus in all ways. No, you'll never be like Jesus. You'll be in the image of Jesus, but you won't become a little Jesus. He is the Son of God. You're, you're a created being. You're, you're being transformed. And it's kind of like, you know, my girls. Uh, I've been told that all my daughters look alike. And they, 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 they come up to people in, in Cody and they say, Oh, you're a Thomas girl, aren't you? You're a spitting image of all the other Thomas girls. Now, you're in the image of the Thomas girls who somehow are in the image of their father. Now, we're not, we don't become each other, and, you know, my daughters don't become the father, and, and they don't become the sister. I mean, they're separate, all that. But you do have the image of that, of that person, inwardly and outwardly in many ways. And so it is in a spiritual realm for us. In 1 Corinthians fifteen forty nine, Paul again writes, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of heaven, the man of heaven. We will. We're like Christ spiritually now. We're becoming more like Christ spiritually, inwardly now. And on that day of glorification, we'll be like Christ spiritually and physically. Now, remember I said there's a second purpose? And the second purpose is uh, the most glorious primary purpose. It's second listed, but it's the primary purpose for for why you were saved. He writes, In order that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers. See, if we stop there, we're tempted to think, Oh, I knew it. Salvation is all about me, isn't it? Christ did die, and Christ chose me, and I am a Christian for the grand purpose that He wants to make me like Jesus. And I'm the center of the whole thing. Wrong. The primary reason why God saved you was for His Son's glory. In that He, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's primary purpose in saving sinners is not us, it's to glorify His Son. God predestined that we will be conformed to the image of Christ. We're going to be glorified in heaven. Christ will be the center of us. Uh, we, are, we are brothers with Christ, bringing glory to Him. And when it's all culminated, He's the one who receives all the glory. That's the reason for our salvation that Christ might be glorified, in order that He, Christ, might be the firstborn. What, what, what does Paul mean, firstborn? Well, we know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean like, okay, so we're born and He was born before us. He's the firstborn. No, because He came into this world and was born of a woman after us. And, uh, and He's not a created being, uh, even though He did take on the outward person, uh, body of a person. But in Jewish culture, the firstborn was the one who had the preeminence in the family. Any firstborn kids here? You know, I mean, back in the day, you know, that's where the inheritance went. Back in the day, that's where the blessing went. 
So if you were the firstborn, especially the firstborn son, you had preeminence over your brothers and your sisters. And that's, that's, that's the meaning here. Firstborn in the sense of to him in order that he, Christ, might have preeminence among many brethren. He might be exalted. And who are the many brothers? Are there any in this room? Yeah, every believer here today is, you're one of the brothers. In order that he, Christ, might have preeminence among many believers like yourselves. Uh, it's all believers. He, he foreknew all. He predestined all who being conformed. And all of them will be conformed to the image of Christ. And they become brothers or sisters in Christ. God becomes our, our father. We become sons by adoption. Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God as, as part of the, his, in the Trinity. Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting that he, Christ, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory. There we are. So we're brothers, we're sons that should make our founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So here's the aim of predestined, the predestination of us. God's purpose in saving us was that He would purpose to bring glory and honor to His Son. That's the ultimate purpose of our salvation. It's not all about us, although we, we get into it, we're part of it, it's all about Him. And being conformed to the image of Christ, all this is to exalt Christ. Uh, by the way, I want you to see the enormity of this. Um, the question came to my mind last week was, I wonder how many people are going to be saved? You know, if, if God chose the people to be the objects of His affection, if He elected or chose a people, and if He predestined them to become like His Son, in the image of His Son... What percentage of mankind have been chosen for salvation and what, what percentage of mankind has been left to their own destruction? Well, you won't find the percentage in the Bible, will you? I mean, it doesn't say in the Bible 40%, you know, or 60 or whatever. But I do did notice what, what, what Paul wrote here. He calls them many brothers. So we're not talking about a few. We're talking about Many. How many? Well, again, the Bible doesn't give us a percentage. Some argue, and you can read, get into these little rabbit trails, but some argue it's going to be very, very small. The, out of all of mankind, all the people that have ever been created, the number of people that are going to actually be saved is a very, very small group, a very small remnant. And they would look at a verse like our Lord's teaching, broad is the way that leads to destruction, Many that go that way. Then you have that little narrow way that leads to life. And few, it says there be that what? That finds it. But others would argue in a pragmatic way, well, listen, it seems like God's grace is going to be really much greater than the devil's ability to condemn. And so for the sake of glory, I mean, grace has to trump condemnation. So there's going to be a lot. Well, here's what Scripture says. Many, many brothers are going to be there. Among many brothers. Revelation 7, 9. Uh, here's a snapshot of heaven. If you wanted a little postcard of what heaven looks like, you're looking at the picture on the postcard. Here it is. Revelation 7, 9. After this, John says, I looked. 
and I beheld, I saw, here's the picture, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There's a snapshot of heaven for you today. And you can put that, you can colorize that in your mind so it's not black and white. The picture I see there is one of an innumerable, an inability to even count the number of people that are going to be there worshiping God, chosen before the foundation of the world, predestined to, to glory, and now before the Lamb, worshiping Him and bringing glory to Him. And by the way, that's God's ultimate destination or destiny, ultimate purpose put on display. God is saving a people. Many of us in this room are part of that group that He's saving. It started before the foundation of the world. He purposed that we would what? That we'd be conformed to the image of Christ, and we are. Lord willing, we're changing, we're being glorified, or we're being sanctified. And then we're going to breathe our last breath. It's going to happen, and then we're going to be glorified. And when we're glorified, we're going to be in the presence of Christ. And what are we going to be doing in the presence of Christ? Worshiping Him and glorifying Him and adoring Him for how long? Forever and ever and ever. So who's getting all the attention? Who's getting all the glory? It's not us. He saved us to be worshipers of Him that He might receive the eternal glory in heaven forever. That's the heart of this passage. That's the big purpose of God. What a picture that's going to be. Hopefully that's colorized in in your own mind. Many redeemed brethren, multitudes, too many to count, robed in righteousness, holy, conformed to the image of Christ. And Jesus will be the center of everything. Let me read to you from uh, Scripture. I'm going to use this to prepare our hearts in a minute for the communion table. So think about what's being said here. There will be a time when all all of God's people will bow down before Him. He says He'll be seated on the throne and they'll worship Him who lives forever and ever. They'll be casting down of crowns around his feet and throne. And here's what's going to come off the lips of God's redeemed people. Worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory, honor, and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. That's the meaning of predestination. God has determined ahead of time our destiny, and our destiny is to glorify His Son, and He will receive all the preeminence. Let me see if I can draw a couple practical threads of application for us here this morning. If, For those of you who are in Christ, and this, the, 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 these truths stir your heart, I mean, you, oh, glory, and, and all that God's doing in your life and sanctifying you, He will keep His promise. He will keep His promise. 
This is one of the marks of your salvation. Do you see the reality of that promise being fulfilled in your life today? You're professing faith in Christ. Yes, I am. I believed I was saved when I walked down the aisle at the age of 10. But are you being conformed? Are you being conformed by the Spirit of God to the image of His Son? Is your life being changed? Are you being shaped into God, the holiness of Jesus? And if you have been predestined to eternally exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, here's the question for us today. Today is the Lord's day. This is our little foretaste of heaven today. It's a pretty small little foretaste here compared to the uncountable number of people that are going to be in heaven worshiping Jesus Christ. We're just a handful here sitting in the, what color chairs are these? Turquoise? No, not turquoise. Teal. Teal chairs. And I was thinking, if if you're going to be standing in heaven as part of that multitude, and Christian, you will. It's been predetermined. You will be there. You know, if you like large crowds or not, but you're going to be a part of it. And you're going to be clothed in white robes of righteousness. You will be there. And in your view will be the Lord Jesus Christ sitting and reigning on His throne. And what are you going to be doing through all eternity? Praising and worshiping and adoring Him and Him alone. This is His day today. Do you realize this is the Lord's day? And it's the Lord's day. We're here to do the same thing. This is a foretaste of heaven. And I think one of the measuring rods of your own salvation is how how do you view this day? How do you view this day as far as one day in seven of gathering with people and worshiping God? We don't even have to stand the whole time. We get to sit a lot of the time. How much more should our ears be tuned to what Jesus is saying to us through His Word as it's read and as it's preached and proclaimed? How much more should our hearts overflow with joy and delight in the here and now, knowing this is what we're going to be doing for all eternity? If this doesn't make your heart sing here, nothing's going to happen that all of a sudden is going to change when you get there. This is the heart of a believer, of a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. And hopefully your delight is in gathering with God's people. There's also a strong message throughout this chain of assurance of salvation. And I've spoken to some of you privately, and I've struggled in my own life from time to time with, you know, have I lost my salvation? Am I truly a child of God? Look at 29 and 30 for assurance. None, none will fall from grace. Do you see that here? God did not save you to leave you hanging on by your fingernails, that if you make it to the end and you can hold on long enough, you're in. No, He saved you. He's going to call you. He's going to justify you. And He will glorify you. No broken links in the chain. Our immutable immutable God does not change His promise. You can rest assured you will be glorified. There's assurance. And then lastly, let me just speak to those who might be here without Christ. You know, after hearing this about predestination, maybe the Lord stirred your heart a little bit. Maybe there's something there that wasn't there before. 
Could there be in your heart, unbeliever, a longing, you don't know where it came from, but a longing to be part of one of those links in that salvation, maybe the first one of foreknowledge, because one day you do want to be glorified and enter into the presence of Christ in heaven. You know, that desire, if you have that desire, it didn't come from you. Do you realize that? That's not normal. That desire is coming from God. It's God who stirs the heart, begins to draw us, as we're going to see in a few weeks, to Christ. And it's God who wants to save you, uh, all who are in Christ, to be in Christ. And maybe you desire, desire to forsake your sins, and maybe you desire to be conformed to the image of Christ, and all of this is coming from God. They don't come, this doesn't come from within. And to those of you who are being stirred in the heart that way, let me just say this. God is calling you to salvation. If you will come to Christ and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in Him and forsake your wicked ways, He will grace you with the gift of everlasting life. You will be glorified. But you said, wait a minute, I, I don't know if He's calling me. I don't know whether He's saving me, whether, whether I'm one of His or not one. Don't worry about that. Here's your concern. Are you believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you are, you're saved. And then you can look at all the rest of the links and, and, and then begin to understand them in Romans chapter 8. Our God is a God that delights in saving sinners. If you're here today and, you, and your heart is to forsake your wicked ways, and your heart is to believe and trust in Christ because you can't do it yourself anymore, then by expressing that to Him through faith, He will save you. And I pray that He would save anyone here today without Him. Let's stop there and we'll close in a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we realize Your ways are not our ways. Lord, I'm glad that you've chosen to help us see things that we couldn't normally see, things that you purposed to do before even there was a world and a universe. Oh, what a mighty and wonderful God you are that you would choose to a people out, to call out a people that you would, that would be the object of your love and affection. And then you would purpose to do something with this, our salvation in a way that Yes, it would bring joy and delight in our life for eternity, but mainly it brings glory to Your Son, Jesus. We thank You, Lord, for this passage and even the rest of the links that are coming up, all the demonstrations of Your grace. I pray You'd be merciful to us. Oh, Lord, we don't want this to be a word that melts us down, but we want it to be a word that is majestic in our heart. And I pray you'd help us see that from your perspective. In Jesus' name, amen.